0: And welcome to Fade Out, the podcast that examines the final films of Hollywood's brightest lights. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, I'm your host Rob Kelly. For this episode, our subject is special effects pioneer Ray Harryhausen. Inspired by 1933's King Kong, Harryhausen began working on stop motion special effects using hand built models while still in high school. A meeting with his hero, King Kong's effects wizard Willis O'Brien inspired Harryhausen to take classes in art direction, photography, and editing. After serving in World War II, Harryhausen got a job assisting O'Brien on 1947's Mighty Joe Young. Harryhausen's first solo film was 1953's The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, based on a story written by his close friend Ray Bradbury. Harryhausen created what he called Dynamation, the process of splitting the foreground and background of live-action footage, allowing him to insert footage of his stop-motion models to make it look as though they are interacting with the actors and sets. The film was a major hit, and it established Harryhausen as the name in special effects. Harryhausen didn't just toil on the effects, however. He helped conceptualize the look, story, and design of all the films he worked on. He would go on to work on films such as Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, It Came from Beneath the Sea, and 20 Million Miles to Earth. He moved to color photography with 1958's The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, produced by Charles Schneer, who would go on to be Harryhausen's partner for the rest of their careers. Harryhausen's other films included The Three Worlds of Gulliver, The Iconic Jason and the Argonauts, Mysterious Island, First Men in the Moon, One Million Years B.C., The Valley of Gwangi, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and Sinbad and The Eye of the Tiger. Joining me to talk about Ray Harryhausen's last film, 1981's Clash of the Titans,
1: is our first returning guest my pal Scott X? Hi, Scott. Hey, Roy. Hi, Rob. How's it going? I almost hey, called you Ray, as in Ray Harryhausen, <laughs> there for a minute. I'm so I'm getting so into this. As we you were going through the introduction, I'm going, oh yeah, love that movie, love that movie, love that movie.
0: <laughs> I would be I would be perfectly happy to be mistaken for for Ray Harryhausen. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to have you back. You are our first return guest uh, for Fade Out. Uh, as of november when this episode is dropping fade out is a year old is our is our our one year anniversary of the show you were on our first episode talking about alfred hitchcock's uh the family plot and so i thought to celebrate our year anniversary would be it would be fun to have you back especially since you pitched me this idea of talking about ray Harryhausen, which i thought was genius because i'm always trying to Initially, when I started the, the show, the idea was I'm going to talk about directors and actors. That seemed to be, you know, the, make the most sense. But since then, we've expanded it out to producers, editors, and now we're talking about special effects people. And so I just thought it was such a great idea. I grew up on Ray Harryhausen. You grew up on Ray Harryhausen. Who hasn't? So you know, I thought it would be perfect to talk about uh, Clash of the Titans. Before we start talking about this particular movie, I do want to ask you, Scott, like, what is your history with Ray Harryhausen movies?
1: You know... Uh, <laughs> As with many of the the classic movies that I watched, I would say probably I would stay up. I was one of those kids that stayed up late at night, and I would watch all these old movies, whether at that time they were on WTBS out of Atlanta or Turner Classic Movies or American Movie Classics. And I saw all these movies, a lot of them sort of the Voyage movies, as I always say, these classical, mythological movies. And so many of those were, you know, like you had mentioned, Jason and the Argonauts, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, all these different movies. And at that time, I didn't know who Ray Harryhausen was. All I know was I would kept looking at these classic movies and just was enamored of these. I guess you would call them special effect scenes, and and uh, and that's really my history with Harryhausen. I, I didn't even know it was him doing. I can look at this huge swath of movies, as you mentioned, from this sixty-year career of his. All these famous scenes that we've seen in these movies, and they were him. But but he was behind the scenes. He wasn't the main actor. He wasn't the director at least for me watching those, he was not the star. As I look back at every one of those movies now, he and his work is the star of those yep. movies.
0: Oh, completely. Yeah, I, I saw them all, uh, a lot of them, at least on um, Sunday afternoons, Channel 48. That was the local uh, Philadelphia station. And they would run, I've mentioned this on other episodes across different shows. I've, they would show the Universal horror films. They would show Abin Costello movies. Uh, they would show the Blondie movies. I think I've seen all 97 of the Blondie <laughs> movies. Uh, <laughs> Penny Singleton and Arthur Lake. Uh, and and they would run Ray Harryhausen movies. And like you, I don't think I really knew the name, but you knew kind of from their look. And the yes. minute you the minute you saw any of the special effects, you were like, oh, that's one of these movies. You know, it's one right. of those, and you immediately were able to kind of figure that other movie that has special effects. That's not kind of this movie. I don't know what, I I don't know the difference exactly, but I know there is one. And then eventually, as you got, you know, I got older. I remember I saw Clash of the Titans in the theater when it came out. I was yes, 10 years I old. did too.
1: Came I out too. June
0: yeah, came out June twelfth, nineteen eighty one. Same day as Raiders of the Lost Ark, by the way. Yes, <laughs> that's a good day for cinema that you got Raiders and Clash of the Titans on the same day. I saw both, so I must have. I wonder which one I saw first, which one my dad took me to first. But anyway, but, by the time Titans came around, I was aware of Ray Harryhausen. I knew the name. And despite the fact that you know, Star Wars has gone on, people know Star Wars effects, in a lot of ways, Ray Harryhausen is still kind of the only famous special effects person that I would say, I don't think the average person knows his name anymore. I just think time has moved on. But for a certain chunk of uh, people, he was really the only person ever to be famous for doing special effects.
1: Yeah. And, you know, you know it's funny. Um, I always we always think of him as special effects. And, and I'll step back just a minute and talk about when I pitched this. So occasionally, um, Rob and I and a group of other people on Twitter will watch Sven Gulli on Saturday night, and we, right. we kind of do a riff track and tweet. And we were watching a movie that Ray Harryhausen had done um, effects. And I think it was Gargoyles. If I remember, Rob, the the made for TV movie, I think was the one that we were riffing on and, and and then everyone on there of course like you said knows Ray Harryhausen oh Ray Harryhausen and then I kind of uh, tweeted to Rob that hey might be an interesting choice for fade out you know or podcast or something like that and so we always think of Harryhausen as this special effects but I, I found this this quote or well it was actually written by Harryhausen but about how he categorized himself he said uh I have never considered myself a special effects person only an animator and filmmaker which is a special field encompassing its own special brand of expertise. And I was reading the biography that Harryhausen wrote. I, I guess I would categorize it as a biography, but in that he wrote, he said, I'm not someone who the movie was scripted, written, and then came in and did effects. And that's why he didn't consider himself a special effects version or person. He was involved from the movie in the movie from its conception all the way through its finished production. So a lot of times, these particular movies were set up around the effects that he was producing. So he didn't consider himself a special effects person. But that is how most of us think of him as special effects. But he was more involved than that, too, I think, in the movies.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, this this film was written, uh, Clash of the Titans... Uh, was written by Beverly Cross, the husband of Maggie Smith, who is in Clash of the Titans. Yes. States. And I was reading about that, you know, he was—he wrote Jason and the Argonauts as well. Uh, and I had read about that he had gone on some vacation to some Greek isle and had l- looked up some local history and had gotten the idea to write a film about these Greek myths. And then he took it to Schneer and Ray Harryhausen. And they were like, oh, no, okay, this is great. But we got to put a lot of monsters in this. And so, yeah, yeah. that's, that's and, what you were talking about right there. He's already saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to rejigger this movie to make it sort of a Ray Harryhausen movie because it's, right now it's just a bunch of people in robes talking, probably.
1: Yeah, and, and that's what Harryhausen mentioned that in this autobiography. He said the same thing. He said his, he had first conceived of adapting the story in the 1950s, and that's about when you were talking about, and then, he said, and then again after Jason and the Argonauts. And he said just what you said. The creatures were the main attraction for him, even though he called it a, quote, wonderful tale, um, which, which again, he, he, and then he talked a little bit about how, how, from conception way back in the 50s, why wasn't it made till so much later? He said that there was a complex story, and they was trying to sort that out, and this is the, the craziest reason for not doing a movie ever. This is part of what, what Harryhausen said. He said, well, you know, the hero was Perseus, and at the time, Percy, the name Percy was associated with being a sissy, so they didn't want, he didn't think that would really fly very well then. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and then later, later in 1969, he was visiting some island that, like you said, the Beverly Cross came in, they, they re-talked about it again. And then he said, and at that time, I, the sa- I didn't have the same concern about the name Percy. So then they decided they could move forward with it. <laughs> That's amazing how
0: sort of times change. I mean, again, you and I are around the same age. And when we were kids, uh, like, you know, being named uh, like Sylvester or right. Arnold, were kind of those are kind of like nebbish names and then then yeah. thanks to Hollywood they will like the two toughest guys in Hollywood right right that, so it doesn't matter anymore you know uh but uh, that's I never heard that that's that's yeah. really remarkable oh lord almighty <laughs> thank thank
1: goodness they decided not to change it for that reason well, well, you know well, it's it's funny that you say that because that was one of the things he said when they were looking at that he said well we kind of had a couple of options either change the name of the main character or basically not use the character's name or the character at all and he said in neither of them neither of them would work and so yeah. so again it waited and then it worked itself out
0: now before we get to uh, class of the titans uh, in specific i do want to ask like are have you seen every one of his movies because i went through the list in preparation for the show i went through his list of every film that he worked on uh, and I have, I realized there is, I think there's, I think I've seen all but one. I have not seen Three Worlds of Gulliver. Uh, and, uh, and I, and I went, I I wanted to review as much, as many of these films as I could. And surprisingly, unfortunately, a lot of them are not like easily available, like on streaming. And I don't even right. mean for free. I just mean to rent. A lot right. of them are just not around, but I, I still haven't seen Three Worlds of Gulliver, but the rest I have seen at least once. Are there any that are missing in your, your, uh, I, bingo card?
1: I think I have seen, or at least in whole or in part, most all of them. Um, like you said, I kind of glanced through them too. And I can't, I can't think of any that I haven't seen. I, I feel like I've seen parts of the Gulliver one, mm-hmm. but that is too, is the one for me that, that would be a little bit, Oh no, I haven't seen, uh, was it Gowanji? Valley of Gwangi, yeah, yeah, Gwangi. I don't, I haven't seen that one. Okay, okay, yeah. I've seen some of them. I've seen just
0: once, and then there are others like the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, which I, I did a uh, trailer commentary for over on our YouTube page. It's my, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I've seen it yeah. like, dozens of times at this point, and I remember uh, you mentioned Sven Gulli. He ran. It came from beneath the sea. Yes, uh, not all that long ago. Not that too one long was ago. Really fun. Yeah, that one was yeah. really fun. So yeah, they 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 really are. And there is a box set. I know there is a, a Blu-ray box set because a friend of the network, Corey Drew, his favorite film of all time is Jason and the Argonauts. Uh, well, and that's, so, that's uh, up there. Well, yeah, that's a great there. film.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and,
0: uh, and also, uh, well, not yet, friend of the network, Tom Hanks. Uh, his ah. favorite film is Jason and the Argonauts.
1: Well, it's it's only a matter of time with Hollywood Rob <laughs> Kelly in, in the mix here when we've got Mike Farrell and Dick Donner and Loretta Swit. I mean, it's really only a matter of time. So.
0: <laughs> I'm going to call myself that from now on. Hollywood <laughs> Rob Kelly. I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, but, yeah, I got to track down Three Worlds of Gulliver, at least to be able to say, all right, I've 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 seen every one of them um, at this point. So, okay, Clash of the Titans came out in 1981. It is the first uh, and last Harryhausen movie that postdates Star Wars. And, you know, you can't help it, but all of cinema kind of was changed uh, with Star Wars, uh, Star Wars's release, and especially special effects films uh, were forever changed by, their, by Star Wars. And, you know, it's sort of the I- ironic uh, in that, you know, George Lucas owes a great debt to Ray Harryhausen, which he has stated many, many times. Ev- virtually every... A director or creative person in Hollywood that makes these kinds of movies owes a debt to uh, Harryhausen, and, and yet, you know, you could see that. Oh, okay, Clash of the Top. Well, we'll talk about Clash of the t- but whether how much it holds up versus you know when it came out and stuff like that. But um, I do want to get into a sort of a brief plot synopsis of it. And well,
1: then t- when when we get there. I have like a page of notes on this it, just what you were just talking about okay about right. where and again I'm feeling into his last his last film and kind of where he felt like he stood in this continuum of evolving special effects so I want to make sure we get back to that too
0: oh per absolutely we'll absolutely get back to that so I'm going to go through the plot very briefly and then I will talk about the cast so we can all so we'll be on the same page here so uh king acrisius king of argos banishes his daughter Danae after she is impregnated by zeus throwing her and her infant son into a wooden chest and sending it out to sea. As revenge, Zeus orders Poseidon to release the last of the Titans, the beast known as the Kraken, to destroy Argos. Danae survives and arrives on the island of Seraphos, where her son, Perseus, grows to adulthood. The sea goddess Thetis, whose son, Calibos, was banished and transformed into a monster by Zeus, takes revenge against Zeus by transporting Perseus to Joppa, where he befriends an elderly poet named Ammon. Perseus falls in love with Andromeda and offers to marry her. The jealous Calibos, also in love with Andromeda, steals her soul every night while she sleeps through a giant vulture. The Stygian witches reveal to Perseus the only way to defeat the Kraken is with the severed head of Medusa. Perseus and some of his soldier friends defeat Medusa's two-headed dog, Discolus. I hope I'm saying that right, but a number of them are turned to stone by Medusa. Perseus decapitates her, only to be attacked by Calibos, whom Perseus also defeats. Andromeda is strapped to a rock at Joppa and the Kraken attacks. Perseus, with the help of his winged steed Pegasus, and the robot Al Bubo, help Perseus attack the Kraken and turn it to stone. Perseus marries Andromeda, and Zeus predicts they will rule wisely and produce many children. In their honor, Zeus creates constellations. So Harry Hamlin, of course, from LA Law, Madman, Veronica Mars, uh, the film Making Love, which came out uh, after before Cluster of the Titans, but it was made after. Uh, plays Perseus. The uh, legendary Lawrence Olivier plays Zeus. He passed away in 1989. He was in films like Sleuth, Marathon Man, Rebecca, Wuthering Heights. Claire Bloom is Hera. She was in The Haunting, Limelight, The King's Speech. Maggie Smith, who I mentioned earlier, is Thetis. She was in Gosford Park, The Prime of Machine, Brody, my favorite, The Murder by Death, um, and uh, Down, <laughs> Downson Abbey, of course. Judy Balker is Andromeda. She was in Brother Son, Sister Moon, and the 1977 version of Count Dracula. Burgess Meredith plays Ammon. He passed away in 1997. Everyone knows him. Rocky, the Batman TV series, Grumpy Old Men. The Manitou, which we covered here on Fade Out a couple <laughs> episodes ago. Jack Willem plays Poseidon. He passed away in 2001. He was in Jason and the Argonauts. Patton and Lawrence of Arabia. Sean Phillips, Cassiopeia, was in Dune. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. And another favorite of mine, I, Claudius. Ursula Andrus is Aphrodite. She was in Dr. No. Four for Texas. And another personal favorite, Slave of the Cannibal God, Neil McCarthy is Calabos. He passed away in 1985. He was in Where Eagles Dare, Time Bandits, Zulu. Tim Piggott Smith is Thallo. He died in 2017. He was in Viva Vendetta, Quantum of Solace, The Remains of the Day. Pat Roach, Hephaestus, died in 2004. He was in Red Sonja, Willow, and also Raiders of the Lost Ark. So Pat Roach had two films out the same day. He Wait, had a
1: good day. Had a
0: good day, that Pat Roach. <laughs> Frida Jackson, one of the Stygian witches. This is her last film. She passed away in 1990. She was in Ray Harryhausen's Valley of Gwangi, as well as Tom Jones and Henry V. And then finally, Flora Robeson, the other Stygian witch, or one of the other Stygian witches, passed away in 1984. This is also her final film. She was in movies like The Seahawk and Wuthering Heights with Laurence Olivier. Uh, Titans was directed by Desmond Davis, who passed away just this year. He directed films like The Girl with the Green Eyes. Time Lost and Time Remembered, and Ordeal by Innocence. I mentioned uh, that it was written by Beverly Cross, who passed away in 1998. He wrote Jason and the Argonauts, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger. He was married to Mary Smith. And this was the final film produced by Charles Schneer. He died in 1998, and I said he was Harryhausen's longtime producer. So, okay, before we even get to all the other stuff, let's talk about what you you mentioned, Scott, about Harryhausen's view of where he
1: stood in the special effects firmament post Star Wars so I'm gonna I'm gonna go back one thing cuz I want to add this to your cast list passed over for the role of Perseus were Malcolm McDowell Michael York and Richard Chamberlain Um, Harryhausen said that he thought he thought that Hamlin could do the role and he looked the part which I thought was interesting um, the distributor movie suggested Arnold Schwarzenegger, which who you mentioned before, <laughs> as Perseus, and, and this was kind of before he was even a star then. Yeah. But but the producers, Harryhausen included, wanted to avoid that '50s and '60s Italian epic look, so they went they went kind of with with Harry Hamlin, and then Olivier obviously played Zeus. They also passed over John Gielgud and Orson Welles for that role. Harry, oh, Housen. I would have loved to see Orson so, Welles. As- I, I know. I was th- I think was thinking the same thing. How what would have that bit looked like you know oh lord <laughs> so to get back to what you were talking about so this this uh Harryhausen talked about when after Clash of Titans came out and, and you know the reviews were largely good and I remember and obviously you were 10 I was 9 when this came out I loved this movie I, I absolutely loved it when it came out on HBO I've probably seen this movie a hundred times <laughs> and that's not not an overcount because every time it would come on HBO me and my brothers and my friends it would be on we'd watch it that was it The the reviews at the time were largely positive. However, there was one from Variety that was very negative. And this really affected Harryhausen. Harryhausen wrote, When I came to read the Variety review, where they called it an unbearable bore with flat and outdated special effects, Uh I became very um, disillusioned. I gave the film so much of myself that when it was vindictively and and, uh, unconstructively torn apart the passion for filmmaking seemed to die. Oh, no. And then, and then he says um, he did have other ideas and scripts that were written, um, but after that there were no buyers for them. And, and, you know, the, kind of the, He said the age of the hero was dead. The type of movie that he wanted were sort of these fantastic heroes and showing this, these, these actions. He said they, they became more the anti-hero or different things. And he went on to say, Clash was destined to be my last picture. And looking back, the decision to end my career at that point was right. With all of the problems involved in production and the knowledge that I was losing control of solo animation, I was forced to concede that it was time to stand aside and for others and their new technology to take over. And 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 again, he continues. and, And I would argue that's partly why Clash of the Titans is an important movie. Whether you like it or not, whatever you think of it, it was important. this was a turning point. Star Wars was a turning point from an effects standpoint moving forward. this was a turning point and it was an end to a kind of a previous era of special effects. Um, Harry Hausen went on to say that he thought CGI for um, was overused and uh, um, for him he said that just wasn't for me. That type of movie making was not for me. He talked about he want he his goal and I, I, this was so interesting to me. He said, My goal was was not to make things look realistic. The reason was these things are not real (laughs) (laughs) for the most part. And he talked about Willis O'Brien, who you mentioned before, he said, Willis O'Brien once told me you should never attempt to create what you can photograph in real life. That's a piece of advice I have always applied to my creatures. And he and he talked about we don't we don't know how things move. We don't know what how things look like. So um that's why they were created as such. They weren't really created to be realistic. And I, and I, and I think that almost made me, I, I love the effects that he did, but it, it caused me to reevaluate them too. And I think, I think we're doing a great disservice to Harryhausen if we're evaluating his contribution only based on our subjective assessment, how real those effects look. So when people look at that now, they don't look real, but they were never intended to. That's an amazing quote from Willis O'Brien about don't try and
0: create what you can photograph. That's, I, I mean, it's, I it's that sort so of
1: profound. Yeah. I
0: mean, <laughs> it seems so obvious, but then I'm yes. like, but I've never heard it put like
1: that. Exactly. You know, like, right, yeah. Right. So succinctly too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. Yeah. Why, if you could photograph it, why would you try and create it? Cause you're not going to be able to do, you're not going to be able to do it as well as what real life looks like. So yeah. the point is to create something. Yeah, you're right. That is something that, Frustrates me about, and I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I haven't, think I've never really hung out with anybody or seen a movie with anyone who would ever say to me, "Oh, these Harry Houser movies look unrealistic," because I think it would, they would know, like, "Oh yeah,"
1: <laughs> you know, there's not well, the kind I, of people I hang out with. I have heard. heard people say that. Oh, that yeah, that I mean. looks so fakey that's always the oh. word, fakey. Well, it is fake. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's not a video camera out your window. <laughs> it's, I mean, that I mean, giant, it is. that I mean, giant Colossus definition?
0: figure in Jason the Argonauts is not <laughs> real. It's not a real oh, yeah, thing. Yeah. So, but they have a certain visual life and a and a feel to them, partly yes. because they are real. They were literally done. And every movie that Harryhausen worked on until this one, he did solo, completely alone. Yes. And first of all, just the Herculean, no pun intended, labor of that is impressive. But it also- let, me,
1: let me interject with that another quote from him, because this fits right into what you said. He said, he said uh, animation can be exhausting. Apart from the fact that the animator walks miles in a day, back and forth between the camera and the model for <laughs> each single frame exposure, there is a mental strain of, of, um, making or moving the models to create a flow in the animation. And on top of that, there are hundreds of other equations, um, to coincide. And then he went on to talk about um, when he was uh, animating Medusa about how it took days because, because the movements were so complex with that particular, uh, creation when Medusa was raising her arm to reach the bowstring to shoot, shoot the arrow in the movie, it, It took him days to do that because snakes also had to be moving constantly on her head and that Mm -hmm. movement. And he talked about, he said, you know, you have to remember all those movements between each shot. He said, that's difficult if you've drunk too much coffee and have to go use the bathroom. (laughs) 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 Again, something I don't think about with with the animation process that he used.
0: It takes an enormous amount of mental focus to work that long by yourself and not go a little stir crazy and not get distracted with, a, like you're talking about the, you know, the vicissitudes of your life or whatever. And that, that is impressive. That is an impressive amount of just mental focus to sit there and say, however long this is going to take, I'm going to greet the scene by myself uh, and just do it one half second at a time yes. or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, that is just an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of just, of uh, again I use the word focus but just single mindedness to be able to say I'm just going to accomplish this and not let it and wait I'm going to do it until it looks perfect and that is just
1: uh, and, and I would I would I want to add to it that was passion for him yeah. like you said focus passion and he mentioned that in that that quote that I read he felt like at his age he could no longer do it alone that's what he loved he said that had passed me by i was a creature of the back room in my own studio doing this by myself and doing what I love. And that had started to pass him by.
0: Mm. I think it's almost sort of perfect that he managed to produce one last film. Yes. In the Star Wars era. Again, that uh,
1: transition. I totally agree.
0: Yeah. It's a sort of like he's placing a marker down saying, right. Hey, I still, you know, this is still good. We can still make movies like this. Uh, yeah. The times are changing. And people don't want guys in loincloths running around. We, we, we want spaceships and things like that. And other I said, I'm just, you know, I was a I was an OG Star Wars fan. So I'm just as guilty as, as anybody else yep. saying, hey, this is the thing I love. That said, it's if he had never done a film pre-Star Wars, you could almost, if you wanted to, be like, oh, well, Star Wars put him out of business. And again, yeah, in some ways it did. But at the same time, he's saying, no, he was able to make one more film and be like, hey, I still got it. These films can still be made even in the post-Star Wars era. I'm going to move on because I'm aging and I just don't want to do it anymore. But you can still do it if you want to.
1: Now and this movie did. made money. Yeah, I mean this, this was, was a, a successful, successful film. film. Yeah, and again, it wasn't like oh, it was his last film. It like you said, it it didn't shut him down. Yeah, I, I think the budget on this movie was like 15 to 16 million, and it made 70 million gross worldwide. I mean that's yeah. that's 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 a very successful movie.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There was some tie-ins that we're going to talk about those, too, because sure. I think those are really, really fun to discuss, discuss. Now, before I get to the, I do want to go through uh, the specific creatures in Clash of the Titans, because I think it's fun to sort of talk about each yeah. of the individual scenes. But do you agree, um, I was wondering if you agree with me, Scott, that like part of the issue I do have with some of the Harryhausen films is that the flesh and blood actors can be a little dry. Uh, yes. I would say in so some of them one note. Yeah, some of cases. them can be one note. I find I like Jason and the Argonauts a lot, but I find the lead actors to be snoozeville. Uh, and so every time we get to a Harryhausen scene, I'm like, oh, now it's coming alive. And then in the middle, it's talky, <laughs> yes. talky, 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 and I don't care about this. Now, I think uh, again, we'll talk about it uh, a little bit later. The Sinbad films, especially the '70s ones, I think they really learned how to improve that. But for this film, what do you think of uh, Harry Hamlin in the lead as as Perseus?
1: I actually thought he was pretty good in this. I mean, for what, for, you know, I hate to say for what he was given, um, but I actually thought he was good. I mean, there were some good lines, some good little opportunities for him to actually act in here. And you could tell, I also think, you know, Harry Hausen talked about that. Hamlin really, I don't think he'd been maybe in one movie when, when he made this. As you said, when it came out, it was a different story. But he had a, a pretty extensive theater background even at that time. And I felt like I, I could see some of the theatrical type work in there.
0: Right. Yeah. He's, he's fun. And, there's a lot of him kind of squinting and looking confused, uh, but that's Perseus. That's the character that he right. wanted to do. Uh, and again, as an actor, you know, it's kind of hard to be like, okay, stand here and look at this thing and pretend you're looking at, say a giant scorpion. I'm like, well, all right, yes. I'm going to try my best here. Um, the other actors are fun. I mean, Laurence Olivier, is Lawrence Olivier uh he's right. really enjoying it uh you know apparently he was in relatively ill health but uh, he's fun as Zeus i love the uh the early uh, the early scenes with Zeus and the other gods you get Ursula yeah. Andress there as Aphrodite who only has one line in the whole movie um yeah. <laughs> but i love that Zeus has his little collection of figures of yes. all the people that he's playing with. And it's like Zeus's little action figure collection. I think it's great. And he's even got like little, little cases in a wall for all of them, which is like every nerd would want for their Star Wars figures. Like just to be able to put them on the wall like that.
1: Harryhausen, Harryhausen talked about that and he, he said he, he kind of came up with that idea. I think he had used something similar in a previous movie where they had like a map and sort of had them them almost like chess pieces mm-hmm. on this map. And he said he he didn't want to reproduce that. So he had come up with this idea of the Colosseum as well with, because he just loved that idea. He said it served as a transition between the world of the gods and the world of the man. So they'd show, you know, Zeus putting the figure down, then they'd cut to the actual person in the real world or in the, in the world of, of man. And and he, and he also talked about, you know, how, how it, it, it was meant to portray the idea of the weight of the gods sort of playing with the lives of man as well. Right. So it served multiple yep. purposes yep. beyond just the, that's pretty cool to, <laughs> to have all those action figures stacked back there in a playset. you know, yeah. as a nine year old kid, I was like, Oh, I, I, you know, I would, I sat there and I thought about that. Oh, that would be so cool to have that for my action figure.
0: Oh man. Yeah. Then have a, like a built in wall where you could just yeah. put your, put my, I'm going to put my Martian Manhunter action figure yeah. right here. It would yeah. be great. Uh, yeah. I love that. Yeah. The whole idea that, that uh, we are all just playthings for the gods uh, for them to, I mean, the whole reason that Perseus gets kind of stuck on the trip that he's on is because Thetis is jealous of him being treated better by Zeus than her son Calibos. And uh, it's all just like, well, I'll, I'll show Zeus. I'm going to, I'm going to put the whammy on his son. And it's like, well, you know, you're like, Hey, leave us out of it. You guys, why don't you all solve this? You know, but that's, that we are playthings of the gods. And I think that's a, that's a fun theme that's sitting in the background of this, you know, kids' adventure movie.
1: Well, and, and at the end, and again, this is jumping ahead to sort of the end of the movie, but there a there's a great sort of ending um, near the end of the movie where, um, I can't remember if it was Hera, I think, says to Zeus, uh, what if one day there were other heroes like him? What if courage and imagination were to become everyday mortal qualities? And Zeus responds, we would no longer be needed. But for the moment, there is sufficient cowardice, sloth, mendacity down there on earth to last forever. <laughs> and, and, and Harryhausen says, perhaps this might suggest that I really do have a Zeus complex. Harryhausen <laughs> said, but I, but I thought that was funny and how, how kind of we're playing with them. Um, but they're participating in their own downfall as well. Yeah,
0: that's a completely true statement on Zeus's part, though.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> right, Exactly.
0: So, okay, regarding the monsters, regarding the creatures in this film, I do want to kind of go a little bit in order now. I'm going to skip over the Kraken because I want to end with the Kraken, even though we see the Kraken in the, the beginning of the, yeah. the
1: film. When, when it's appropriate, you'll release the Kraken. Yeah, exactly. Oh,
0: I, can I tell you how much I hate the fact that that, got, that phrase got dra- dragged into some uns- the mouths of some unsavory people this year? Uh. I know. Just, You know, like leave the Kraken alone. All right. <laughs> but okay, that's fine. So <laughs> the first creature, uh, the real uh, creature that we see the first Harry has in creation is the vulture. This vulture that carries off Andromeda uh, as she's dreaming and carries off her, her dream state in the cage. Uh, and so what do you think of this, uh, the, that creation?
1: Well, I, I, there's a couple things with that creation they, they um, Harryhausen had different, I- or the producers had different ideas about what that creature should be that would carry off Andromeda. They talked about a bat and different things, and Harryhausen thought, "Well, this is this is supposed to be the um, the servant of Calibos," and he said, "And I don't think bats are are ugly or grotesque, so I didn't want to use a bat." So he decided on this vulture. So the vulture was his choice for this because he thought it looked grotesque and it had something. Um, it, it was always related. To death and the picking on the carrion and all that, so I found I found it interesting. I thought it a good choice of characters, but it reminded me of Popeye. The, the, the first thing that I saw was the vulture in <laughs> Popeye. Those vultures. That that I mean, whether I should get that out of my head or not. That's the first thing I thought of.
0: Oh, that's fair enough. Um, what do you? Okay, so next up we see is uh, when um, Perseus has to wrangle Pegasus, the last mm-hmm. of Zeus's uh, winged steeds here, and this is I mean. The amount of, uh, one of the things I think Harry Harryhausen you know, was so good at was the, the mixing of the two. Uh, I mean, it just the, 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 yeah. the blending oh, yes. of the actors with the, this, this footage that he was creating off in another room somewhere. And this Pegasus sequence where Perseus has to wrangle uh, Pegasus down is really I mean, one of the great sort of bravura sequences about how he's able to put that together. I just I, It's a beautiful effect.
1: He, you know, he 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 talked about that, and again in this book that I read that he wrote, where he talked about teaching Harry Hamlin how to sort of pantomime these movements and the, and the position to stand in, and, 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 and again forethought, telling Harry Hamlin where he needed to hold his arms in front in relation to his own body, so that when he did the animation later, it would match up correctly, and it That's did. Amazing. And, and like you said, how he's grabbing the rope and, and, and wrangling Pegasus. And, and Harry Howes, and this is something I didn't know, and this, this sort of weirded me out. He talked about how they made the, the animation sequence for that. Those were, Part of the animation for that was real duck wings that he used on Pegasus, wow. to which they added things to make them move. So he talked about going to this particular store where he would buy, to make these, these uh, creatures, real fur real animal parts. And he said, it always freaked me out going in there. And he said, and he said at one time, and I don't know how old he was, said, I thought that there must be no animals left in the world. When I would go into this, <laughs> this place where he got these, these pieces to make his, his machinations.
0: That's amazing. That, and so I again,
1: did... you're incorporating real, real animal structure into the creatures as well.
0: That's remarkable. I didn't, imagine the having to act, while you're keeping all that straight in your head of like where you got to put your arms amazing. uh that's geez again that's a, the amount of concentration that requires is is unreal. Yeah. Um the next creature that we see is Calibos which is the only time I believe in Harryhausen's career where there was a mixture of an actor yes with a with a, a Harryhausen effect. I mentioned Calibos was played by Neil McCarthy, McCarthy uh with this amazing amazing uh mask this uh, and the uh, the horns he's got, it's bit, and there's the point where he stands up on his cloven hooves, and that's the part where it becomes a Harryhausen effect. So that was, he was treading new ground there, actually blending an actor with a creation and sort of
1: seem, be able to, again, sort of put it together to where it looks sort of seamless. And, he, and that was not their original intention. Harryhausen originally intended uh, Calabos to be entirely um, animation. But as they kept working, they thought he, he has to contribute and he has to speak. He has to. And they thought with time-wise, the amount of time they had for animation, it would take too long to animate the animation to do actual speech for close-up. So they got the actor, as you said, McCarthy, where I came up with Mr. Wagner on that. I don't know where that was, so my apologies. But, but when, he, when they did it, so they put him in and they said he was perfect, Harry Harryhausen said, because his underlying bone structure was similar to the, the idea that he had for the character. And then, as you said, the makeup artist, he said, put together something fantastic. And so the model of, of uh, Calabos um, was not super detailed in the end. But they want because they wanted to have cloven hoofs so just what you said when they first showed him they showed him stepping up with the cloven hoof so it was already in the mind of the audience that this really was a creature and so it made the the mental transition either on the audience they felt
0: yeah it's a, it's a it's a great performance by by McCarthy and it's and it's a great makeup and it said it works really well the sort of blending of the blending of those two things um so then there's Bubo, the owl now I have read. Uh, conflicting things about Bubo in that one, some places said Bubo was sort of uh, a post-Star Wars idea that they were like, all right, kids are into robots now, so we've got to put in a robot. But then I've also read other quotes from Harryhausen saying, which I would assume that's the definitive quote from Harryhausen, that Bubo was always going to be part of this and that it was not tied to uh, the supposed influence of Star Wars.
1: Yeah, that's the same thing. I I read Harryhausen and he said, Uh, Bubo was invented prior to Star Wars. And he said it was actually hurtful to the production team, he wrote, and he said something along those words, that we were accused of kind of aping this R2-D2 idea of the humorous part. He said, we always had a creature that was going to be humorous, and then we had created this idea of Bubo. Um, Now, again, creation is always different, I think, than, I don't want to say it, when it's in the public eye. He could say, well, we created Bubo before Star Wars. Well, before Star Wars hit the screen, Or before, because R2-D2 did not magically appear when the screen hit either. He was created before, too. So, you know, sometimes I think there's an element of semantics there, too, which was created first, which showed up on screen first, and all that kind of stuff as well.
0: Yeah, I find that, uh, I I think even as a kid, I was like, a little like, all right, this is kind of R2-D, R2-D, R2-D2-ish, but... Um, it, they don't overdo it, you know what I mean? Right. Like It's not like Bubo, it's not like uh, Urko from the Masters of the Universe cartoon or yeah. something, like, you know, he's yeah. kind of off in the periphery and he makes some funny noises and burr, 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 and that's about it, they don't it's not like he, we, we spend uh, five minutes with Bubo just being silly, he's kind of off from the periphery and it's, it sort of works, and again, it's a nice design as well. well
1: and, I, and I sort of liked how they integrated it into into the story in the sense that, you know, Zeus commanded Athena to give up her owl, you know, Bubo, mm-hmm. the actual owl, and she wouldn't do it. She refused, and so she went to Hephaestus, so they got another god involved in there <laughs> to, create, to create, who is the god of the forge, to create this mechanical version of the owl to act as another tool to help Perseus on his quest. So, I mean, it did fit into the story, which, which that was good. You know? Yeah, um, now even though Harryhausen had nothing
0: to do with it, I, I do want to mention the scene with the three Stygian witches, uh, which I think is delightful. I think the three the three actresses are great. They well, have it was one of my
1: favorite scenes in in the movie. I agree with that. Why is that? Why do you love it so much? I I just love the th- the interplay between the three witches and how how they interacted and um, the the sort of the scene behind it. I, I just like that whole concept that Harryhausen talked about how the actresses loved, loved their role too, and how they played off each other. And in fact, one of them um, playing it so much that they were blind actually fell down and started herself on fire, their cloak (laughs) on fire. They had to put her out. So they really got into the role and there there was just something, I don't know if it also harkens back to Macbeth to me in my mind too. And and I I like that story and I I don't know. I I just, I really liked that scene.
0: The makeup is great. Like their eyes are all, yes.
1: sort of, you know,
0: grown over. Uh, and then, and when they when they're they're looking for the they're they're searching on the ground and they're like find it find it find it. you know like the through those three actresses I mentioned the two of them uh, who's this this was their final film Flora Robeson and uh, Frida Jackson uh, they really are fun like like it's yes th- these these films where we live in this crazy world where there are monsters it's like every imagine living in a world like this where every turn is some crazy creature yeah uh you know some weird thing that you have to deal with it's like it's they were they're they're not threatening but they're creepy and weird
1: uh which is an enormous fun well and again this is one of those spots where you know clash of the titans we have these gods we have the story of perseus this is this is not this is not a strict interpretation of the story of Perseus. And there's some <laughs> other things we'll talk about. They they mixed all this stuff stuff up. And, and this was not these were characters that were essentially created from other uh, myths to put into this. They they sort of creating the there were Sisters of Medusa were, were were part of this. They took part of that idea and some other ideas that combined to, the, to form the Stygian witches. So again, I mean it just made it fun for me. These creations that that fit so well that seem like they'd be part of the mythology. But they really weren't. They were. Yeah. They were just part of the story they created here. Yeah, uh,
0: and then so the next creature that Percy's encounters is the two-headed dog. Uh, I've been pronouncing it this, dis- dis- Do you know how to pronounce that? it? Yeah, it's. It's. I
1: can't remember exactly. They, I don't even I, remember
0: I, if they say it in the movie.
1: It, I, no, I don't think they do. I think it's yeah. Don't, Dioskalos is how I always pronounce okay. it. okay. All right. That, makes, uh,
0: that sounds a little more Greekish anyway. Uh, that's now apparently they uh, were gonna put three heads on it, yeah. and they took one off just because Harryhausen li- literally couldn't get it done. like it was just he he figured out it's kind of like the uh, why the Simpsons only have four fingers. It's just extra man hours, yeah. to draw that one extra finger so they leave it out. Uh, but but again, that's anything with uh, involving fur as ever you know, dating back to King Kong. Is so difficult, and it's again, it's a marvelous sequence of Harry ha- of excuse me Harryhausen of Harry Hamlin Perseus yep. fighting off this creature,
1: and then he stabs it in in the neck, yep. and the blood pours out. It's gruesome as all get out. And you know, you talked about again, again, this is where I say, and you don't always see it in Harry Hamlin's acting, but this is great acting in combination with the animation. Again, oh Harryhausen when he animated this, he obviously was doing the animation, but again they were pre all the principal photography and all the shooting was done before the animation started. So when Harry Hamlin plunges his sword in, they, they have to line it up. Right. And then later Harryhausen would come back in and put an, a, a miniature sword into the animated creature. And they had to line all that up correctly. The angles had to be corrected on And to me, it's just amazing. The intricacies and the interplay between an actor who can 't see it, they have to imagine it, and they have not only do they have to imagine it, they have to be on the same wavelength with the animator who's also imagining it it's just it's miraculous to me, and, and it's not to... the only time it 's not the only time this happens in this movie there 's like three more times this happens
0: yeah I mean like when when Perseus stabs it in the neck, you know when you 're holding something and you stab you know you 're sticking your sword into a a, a surface. That surface has a little bit of resistance. Yes, your your arm has to look like it's meeting that resistance, even though you're just poking the air. Right, that is a really tough and and it's and if you don't have it, it's immediately easily spotted as fake. Uh, yeah, and, and even think remarkable.
1: about it is and think about the height of the dog. How tall is Diaspolos? Yeah, you know they had they had to figure that out. Okay, well we think that this dog is going to be this height in compared to a man. So as you were stabbing down, um, it's going to be at a moving head. And so this head is going to be about this high. So again, all the thought that goes into this stuff is is incredible. And then again, that idea of the resistance, again, that's not even something that would pop into my mind when I was doing, if I were doing something like this.
0: Yeah. Uh, so that, uh, the, that two-headed dog is, uh, sequence leads directly to what I think is the single finest Harry sequence ever done. Uh, which is the uh, Medusa sequence where uh, Perseus and the other soldiers have to sever Medusa's head. But of course they can't uh, look her directly in the eye or they will turn to stone. And we see that there's a bunch of people outside of Medusa's throne, Medusa's uh, uh, throne room uh, that are in fact have been turned to stone. And even some of the soldiers with Perseus get turned to stone because you can't help it. You know, I mean, you've got this woman with a snake's body and snake, you know, hair uh, looks you in the eye, you can't help but look. But
1: I think this is his. It's the soldiers are sort of like the the mythological equivalent of Star Trek red shirts. They're just sort yeah. of there to die because we have yeah. to show that Medusa really is, you know, kind of badass.
0: Yeah, Tim Pigot Smith is the only soldier that we really even get to know that sort of befriends right. Percy. But everybody else, yeah, they are kind of like, uh, yeah, red, red shields or something. But I really think <laughs> this is his best sequence. I love the hellish lighting. It's all in reds and oranges because it's just lit from the torches and the fire. Uh, Just this, the the sheer, again, the the detail of it of having, you know, what, like six or seven different snakes on top of the Medusa's head while she's firing her bow and
1: arrow, while the tail she had 12 snakes 12, Twelve and snakes. He, he wrote about that and he said they were trying it, it it took them a while to figure out how many snakes because wh- what you had mentioned before with the dogs heads he cut down from 2 to 3 partly or from 3 to 2 partly because of all the animation now we they had to decide how many snakes and they they went back and forth and so he decided on 12 because he said otherwise it's too little but more than that we just couldn't handle animation wise and so how he talked about how he sort of laid them on her head Versus looking like they were growing out of her head to try and help cover the scalp.
0: That's amazing. Yeah i I think this is I can remember seeing this again when i when I was ten, and I just was so thrilled with this. I just yeah. think it's just gorgeous. And you know, Harryhausen movies have that moment where you sort of know, oh the the Harryhausen sequence is about to start. You know, like <laughs> the creature has been introduced, yeah. and we're going to see this creature for the next. 30, you know, 90 seconds, 120 seconds, three minutes, whatever. And then the creature will probably be killed or will be dispatched of in some way. And then that sequence is over. And then we're back to the live action footage and, and back to the story. Right. And then we'll meet another Harry Housing creature in, say, yeah. 10 to 12 minutes. So they have that kind of beginning, middle, and end feel to them. And so, to me, this is the best thing he ever did in terms of the lighting, the, the tension of it,
1: and the effects. It all fits together perfectly. It's so fascinating Medusa in mythology was actually beautiful. She was beautiful, they gave her the snake hair and then she would turn people to stone. Harryhausen talked about how he just he didn't it didn't work for him that she could that she should be beautiful mm-hmm. and have this power to turn people to stone. So that visual that you see of Medusa was totally his vision of Medusa. Hmm. So he there's a statue of uh, I don't remember I think it's in Florence where there 's a, a classical statue of Perseus holding with his outstretched arm the head of Medusa, which we sort of see later in the movie, yep, yep, but he used that face, he said he used the bone structure from that face in that statue and then put the grotesque look of Medusa over the top of it and she She was just a normal mortal body, but he again he liked the idea of carrying the snake motif from her hair onto her whole body again to make her more grotesque. And beast like. And, and and again and then it then it talked about how her movement was and what you said about 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 how she moved through the scene, which again to me was just fantastic. That was all his creation. It was just amazing.
0: Yeah. I also, and you know, Perseus he doesn't say that much in the movie. No. Uh, he's a relatively quiet hero, and so you could and he's pretty, you know, Harry Ham- yeah. Harry Hamlin, very attractive man. And you could sort of be like, Well, he's kind of again a typical Harryhausen movie, you know, hero, maybe a little bit of a lunkhead or whatever. But the whole sequence where he has to figure out how am I going to kill this thing? And he realizes he can watch Medusa in the reflection of his shield. And then he stands on that post. And as Medusa approaches, we get closer and closer uh, close-ups of Perseus as he's sweating because he knows he's got one shot at this. One shot. One shot. And we get closer and he's sweating and he's looking and we hear the... and then he, you know, moves his hand around and bam, takes the head off and it's really bloody and it's amazing. It's like this was a PG movie because they didn't have him. The only other rating would have been R. Um, but it's it's pretty grotesque, but I mean, wham, he gets it and it's the hero thinks his way out of it, which is and, always uh, great. You always want your hero to think his way out of it instead of just having the brawn or the, the sharpest sword or whatever.
1: and I And I remember taking note of that when I was nine. The, the idea that, because they had sort of mentioned it before, you know, I think when he was walking in, he said, you know, look at their reflection. That can't do anything to you. But, it, but like you said, for him to solve that problem in that way, I made note of that when I was a kid, like, oh, that was really cool how he kind of figured that out. And he, he threw the shield aside. He didn't hold it when he was looking at a reflection. He, he kind of threw it so he could see more of the room. And as far as the thinking, man, he had also solved the, the riddle earlier in the movie Mm -hmm. and when he had to solve a riddle to be able to get the hand of Andromeda or he'd be burned alive and he was able to solve the riddle. So they were a little they were trying to depart sort of from that that wood headed, you know, hero (laughs) who's just a physical hero. They they did try to depart from that at least a little bit in this movie.
0: I also love when Perseus comes out with the, the severed head of Medusa and we see that the eyes are still twitching. Yeah, which
1: is I think is a great creepy touch. <laughs> yeah,
0: no, the head is severed; it's still kind of like. Rr, 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 rr. What's
1: going on in there? Yeah, she, yeah, she's still. <laughs> and and then I, they, and then, they, they, what after her head was severed to The body there was like I don't know how many seconds of the scene where the body was sort of writhing. You know, you, yeah. You yeah, Take the head, you destroy the body, but the body was sort of. Trying to continue to live on even without the head. Well. <laughs> that's great.
0: Uh, no, so there's another fight with Calabos, and that's when uh, Perseus and the other soldiers fight the giant scorpions. Now, I think this is a great sequence. Scorpions are inherently terrifying, and giant scorpions are just that much more terrifying. But I feel like it's a little bit of, it's a little anticlimactic because to me, the Medusa sequence is so good that it feels like everything should be leading up to Medusa except for when we get to what we're going to get to yeah. but it's like the scorpions are great but coming after medusa it feels a little weird it feels like that should have been before medusa medusa should be sort of like the big you know penultimate act i know they've got to get rid of calibos but i don't know am i am i overthinking that do you feel like it's i when i was a kid I, rem- I i remembered it differently when i watched it over again and i was like Oh, wait a minute. Now we're getting to this. Like the Medusa sequence comes and I'm like, oh, we're really near the end of this movie. And then I'm like, wait, no, we've still got like 25, 30 minutes. Like what? Right. Happened? You know?
1: Well, I, I, I kind of felt the same way. I, I felt like, um, to me, the Medusa should have been, the, that was the the climax. And and Harryhausen himself said, he said, this was the creature that I wanted to animate was Medusa. Mm. And a second, he said close second. And this and this was like kind of all of his creations at that point was Pegasus. Those were the two mm-hmm. that he really wanted to animate. But in mythology, and I, and this is again where I feel like they squeeze. They tried to find a place to squeeze this in. As you said, they had to dispose of Calibos, but they decided to squeeze this in here. And part of the reason being, in the actual mythology, Pegasus um, was the spawn of Medusa's blood. Right. In one springs story, from the,
0: springs from, springs the, from the, the blood hand of Medusa. Of Medusa.
1: Yeah, so they loved that idea, and they wanted something to spring from it, just because it was a great idea. So they wanted to use it, and then Harryhausen kind of said, "Well, I've always wanted to animate a giant scorpion, so let's have the <laughs> giant scorpions come out from the from the blood." And that's sort of where it went. And again, it tied in with Calabas, because he knew that, and trying to, she was trying to get you know Perseus and stuff. And, I, and so I do feel like it was sort of shoehorned in there a bit yeah I mean I like
0: the sequence I just it's just like it just feels like the medusa thing is so impressive
1: that uh, yeah. that's
0: where it needs to wrap up now so then uh we get to uh we get to Joppa and we have poor Andromeda strapped to the rock and here we get the Kraken now, I do find it very odd that the Kraken is seen right at the top of the film and not saved for the end because to me like i s like how I said the Medusa is my favorite uh, Harryhausen sequence. The Kraken oh. is my favorite Harryhausen single creature. I love this puppet so much. I think it's such a great design. It's this kind of weird creature of the Black Lagoon, King kong sort of thing. I ab- And I love that it's, you know, of course it's coming out of the water, so it's dripping. I love the fangs. I just think this thing is so gorgeous that I wish we hadn't seen it at the beginning of the movie, I wish they had shown had gotten a way of 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 showing the destruction of Argos without showing the Kraken doing it because I feel it's slightly underwhelming that we see the Kraken the second time we've already seen him uh, here. Nevertheless, I still find this final sequence with the Kraken absolutely magnificent because I just think the creature itself is so great.
1: Yeah, and you know that's an interesting interesting thought as well. And they, they had they had employed some other tactics that I feel like maybe they could have used at the beginning. Like when Calibus was transformed into that horrible creature, it was in Zeus's little Colosseum and the shadow changed. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. it makes me wonder if, if it, it would have been, and again, this is obviously, you know, looking backward right. to somehow just incorporate the shadow of the Kraken. It's doing whatever the Kraken's doing to destroy Argos. And then, like you said, leave the big reveal of the actual creature until the end.
0: Yeah, again, like like I said with the Medusa sequence, when I rewatched this film, having not seen it for a while, and the Kraken shows up at the very beginning, I was like, "What? Wait a minute, the Kraken's... Like, you know what I mean?" I yeah. I had remembered the Kraken, the release the Kraken had being like the big conclusion to the movie, you know, and yeah. then it's like, "Oh wait, no." Um, so uh,
1: well, that's... it is funny how our memories change because I watched it again too, and I always remember the the yelling line, "Release the Kraken!" That yep. was never in there. No. <laughs> at the beginning when he was angry, he said let loose the kraken. Right. Yeah. And yeah, then no at the end says he it, yeah. says he just says release the kraken. Right. <laughs> like, like he was resigned to do it. Zeus was. So, like so again, again, Sam again my, or something. Yeah, and like you said, I really did not remember the Kraken even being at the movie. I think my mind wanted it to be the climax, so it had sort of pushed that away a little bit.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an amazing sequence Again, it's my favorite of his creatures. And I did want to talk briefly about the, uh, clash of the Titans action figures. There was a line of action figures because again, influence from star Wars, uh, these, these, you know, Hollywood studios started realizing, Hey, wait a minute, you know, kids won't want to buy this stuff. Now, did you have any of the toys?
1: I did not. I, I don't think I ever even saw them. I grew up in a little town in South Dakota, and the local Ben Franklin Five and Dime did not apparently have the Clash of the Titans action figures.
0: Okay. I had some of them, and I think I intermixed them with my Star Wars figures. Of course. Um, I had the Kraken. I remember oh, having see, the that Kraken. would have been the one that would yeah, be the Yeah, that's the, the one you won. You had the Kraken. The prize. And I got to say, many, uh, like 20 years ago, I was at a convention... Uh, and somebody was selling a Perseus on like a French card, and I was—I had forgotten that there had even been Clash of the Titans. Actually. Yeah. Like you know, just it, it left my left my mind over the years. Yeah. And I bought it because I was like, I'm just charmed by this. i yeah. was so charmed that 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 I forgot they made this line of figures, and it wasn't a big success or anything. Right. But they did do them, and I, I you know, I had that toy for many years. I wish I still had it now because I was just like. Oh, Clash of the Titans action figures—that's yeah. great! And it is the only Harryhausen film to be given that designation. Now, in you know, in the post-direct uh, to sort of market world, there's tons of Harryhausen toys now. Sure, because you know, there's tons of everything. But it is the only film that actually got an action figure line at the time of its release.
1: And, and the crack, and what a great character! No, oh. tell me, or excuse me, action figures subject for action. So tell me. How? What was the scale of the Kraken?
0: From what you
1: that I rem- you recall?
0: From what I remember, again, I'd have to look it up. But if I remember, like he was like almost like um like Godzilla size or Shogun okay. Warrior size, maybe a little oh. not, little smaller than that. Yeah, but that's what I remember, and I don't even want to go onto eBay and look up how much it would cost to get a Kraken. Oh yeah, out, it's probably an absolute absolute fortune. So overall, um as a final film, as a, as a final, you know, we talked about that, that Harryhausen did briefly apparently flirt with the idea of doing another film. They had talked about something called force of the Trojans, which is an unfortunate title. Uh, but, um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) and, and they just couldn't get anywhere with it. The studios were just like, nah, this stuff's old hat, star Wars. And you know, star Trek, that's the future. That's where we're going as a final film. How do you think it, you know, wh- what does it say about Harryhausen's legacy that this was his his final outing? Well,
1: I think I think it was, it encapsulated much of his successful prior work in the sense that it was sort of a, a mythology-based story. A lot of his movies were based sort of on that Greek, the, that sort of classical hero type of a story. Not all of them, of course, were, but a lot of them were. The most famous ones were. He had an opportunity to create lasting creatures, people that that certainly are your and I age that we still remember. And, and he finished with, which I would agree is the, probably the finest sequence of all of his animation sequences, which was Medusa. So I think, I think it was, and it was a successful movie. Mm -hmm. So I I think, I think it was a very fitting, fitting end, so to speak to, to, uh, to the end of his career. And as he said, this was destined to be his last picture.
0: Now, I already mentioned that I think that Medusa is my favorite Harryhausen sequence and that the Kraken is my favorite single creation. My favorite Harryhausen movie is Golden Voyage of Sinbad simply because I feel that the interstitial stuff with John Philip Law and Caroline Monroe and Tom Baker is so fun, is so well done. I feel like that the movie that is put around the Harryhausen sequences is overall a little better. So that's my favorite Harryhausen movie, despite the fact that Clash of the Titans is my favorite creature and my favorite sequence. Do you have an answer for all three of those with your favorite creation scene and movie?
1: My favorite creation are probably, this, is, and this is sort of one of the simpler ones. It's the, it's, the, it's the sword shield wielding skeletons. From Jason and the Argonauts. Yes. Those, those just, just riveted me when I was a kid. I remember looking at those. How do they do that? And I remember even thinking, those look so real. So those are my favorite creations. As I agree, the Medusa is definitely, for me, the best sequence, animation sequence. And I would agree that the Golden Voyage of Sinbad is my favorite um, movie. With, with Clash of the Titans being pretty neck and neck with that.
0: Okay. All right. That's good. And, yeah, and, and, I... and
1: Clash of the Titans mostly because of that was the one I saw in the theater. So it, it holds a special place in my heart because of that.
0: Yeah, I had. I was too young to see *Golden Voyage of Sinbad*, and I yeah. was only like two or something. And there yeah. was no chance I was going to see it. Yeah. I did see *Sinbad: Eye of the Ti- and *The Eye of the Tiger*. I do remember seeing that as well. Really? Uh, yeah. I don't have a lot of memory of it. I would have been like six. so I would have been uh-huh. so young. But but yeah, there is something. It, it does. That is my favorite. But yeah, there is something special about. I will always regard *Clash of the Titans* as something special because I can literally remember seeing it. Yep. I literally remember seeing with seeing it with my father and my sister. And just, you know, just absolutely. Even though, again, I love Star Wars and I loved all the modern stuff. I love the movie, too. It was just fun and different. And you get to see creatures that you wouldn't see in a Star Wars movie. You got to see, you know, uh, Medusa and the Kraken. You didn't really kind of see stuff like that in Star Wars.
1: Well, and and again, I I think, and I I hate to get on some soapbox about fandom, but it always why does it have to be one or the other? Yeah. Well, why can't you love them both? Or yeah, I love, love them all for for what they are. I mean, which I certainly do. I mean, I, I I love the Clash of the Titans and all the Harryhausen animation work for what it is, and I I can love the Star Wars era and I can love the CGI era, the the or more the more advanced CGI era that we have today, each of them for what they are. And, you know, sometimes I may prefer certain things in different contexts, but I can be just fine with liking them all. I don't know why I have to decide to only prefer or like one of them.
0: Because that's the way things work now, Scott.
1: You know, <laughs> apparently, you know that. apparently.
0: So, Get off term- my lawn! <laughs> <laughs> so, in ter- that was the original title of the show. Uh, yeah. In terms of... By the uh, way,
1: you know what the original title of this was? was not Clash of the Titans. Oh, shoot, what was it? It was Perseus and the Gorgon's head.: Ah, uh, yeah, Clash of the Titans is a better, yes. <laughs> a and it, title. it was changed when, when MGM kind of came into the picture to produce it, because originally Columbia was going to, and then they, they kind of balked a little bit at what they saw the budget was going to be. Several other studios passed, and MGM was sort of getting back into the movie production game, and so they actually changed it to Clash of the Titans and then threw more money at it to get some of those stars so. Um, yeah, I think it was an appropriate change in title to Clash of the Titans.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a happy accident. Uh, in terms of the legacy of this film in particular, uh, as I mentioned, there was an action figure line and there's, mm-hmm. you can get toys of it now. There was, of course, the remake in 2010. Uh, the less said
1: about that, the better. Um, I, I've never I, even seen it. I've never even bothered to see it. I don't, maybe I should, but I've just... I no, the,
0: the, the issue I have with them, and I saw that movie because it was Clash of the Titans because uh-huh. it was like okay what you know here's your chance to do something different my biggest issue with a movie and i've i've talked about this in, in other contexts and i was actually my fiance and i were just talking about this the other day was that to me i can watch a bad movie if it's fun right but what i can't tolerate is a boring movie <laughs> is a, is a movie that leaves not a single impression on my brain after i've seen it and Clash of the Titans 2010 was one of those movies.
1: So tell you know? me so tell me not having seen that movie um and I don't we don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this but from from a scene by scene standpoint was this just intended this remake intended just to be a remake with up to date special effects or did they change story? They changed or? it
0: they changed the story a bit. Okay. But it's just lifeless. Like it's okay. just it's just you know, it's the kind of thing where more is more. You know, yeah. it's like, okay, if we can have this creature, the Kraken is uh, 20 feet, let's make him a hundred feet and let's make him yeah. do all these. And it it's the kind of movie where I don't remember a single thing other than a bad joke about Bubo. Uh, I don't remember a single thing from the movie. And I'm like, th- you guys spent, what, $180 million to for something that didn't leave a single impression on my brain? Like, what does that say? Uh, I've seen a lot of lousy movies that I can remember. They may not be great movies, but I'm I remember it. <laughs> But that yeah. movie, and so when Wrath of the Titans came along, the sequel, I didn't even bother. I'm like, all right, it's not going to be the same.
1: Fine. you know. When, I'm, curious, when, I'm curious about, there was a, a comic book, Wrath of the Titans, that was from 2007 that was supposedly took place five years after Clash of the Titans. And it oh, was, I, I don't know, that. was that tied to the Wrath of the Titans movie oh, at I all? Know. I guess I don't, yeah, I don't know. know.
0: There was a comic book adaptation of Clash of the Titans mm. and produced in like 1981 with art by Dan Spiegel. The Great Dan Spiegel, and it's in a slightly oversized edition. It's not a Treasury comic. Oh, if only. Oh, um, oh yeah. Mother. But it's like a it's like an album. It's like square bound, and it's in full color. And I had it. I used to have it for a long time. And it was but... it was pretty fun. Uh, it was pretty fun. Now, of course, you know Harryhausen himself got to live long enough to see. Uh, his legacy, you know, yeah. um, he was finally awarded and he was never awarded an Oscar in competition. In mm. fact, he was never even nominated.
1: I don't know. I don't they even know, know how that, that is even possible, but that, that's I don't understand. That.
0: They didn't have a the category. They didn't do special well, effects until good, 1981. True.
1: Maybe maybe Uh, that's another reason why he was averse to being called a special effects person. Because if he would have been a filmmaker producer, maybe he felt like he would have gotten more recognition at the time that he was he was producing the majority of these films.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Uh, But he was finally awarded in 1992 the Golden E. Sawyer Award, which is essentially a lifetime achievement for technological contributions which have brought credit to the industry. Ray Harryhausen presented the uh, excuse me Ray Bradbury, his life lifelong friend presented the award to him again. That's a I luck friend to have Ray Bradbury. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Tom Hanks was the master of ceremonies. And he said, and I remember this, I saw it on the Oscars at the time and I never forgot it. He said, cause Hanks was there at the, 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 the broadcast uh, presentation where uh-huh. he talked about it. And he said, some people say Casablanca or citizen Kane. I say Jason and the Argonauts is the greatest film ever made, which I just thought was charming as all get
1: out. Absolutely absolutely so,
0: yeah now harry Housen himself would actually appear in movies he was in spies like us and burke and hare both directed by john landis because he was friends with with john uh and he provides a voice uh in elf uh he's a he, he's a voice yeah. one, one of the stop motion creatures in elf and then when harry Housen, uh finally passed away there were tributes by george lucas and james cameron and terry gilliam and edgar wright and uh Guillermo del Toro. I mean, just every heavy hitter out there paid tribute to Ray Harryhausen. And in the meantime, there have been multiple documentaries about the man. If you go to Amazon Prime and you can, you can find several, there is a Ray Harryhausen podcast, which is simply called that, which you know is part of his uh, a creation of the foundation uh, of, of him and his wife, Diane. And so that show is ongoing. And then one other person that I'm sure is very happy that Clash of the Titans existed is Dimitri Hamlin. Uh, Dimitri Hamlin is the son of Harry Hamlin and Ursula Andrus who met on <laughs> Clash of the Titans. Now how they met, I don't know because they don't share any scenes together, but nevertheless, this is where their relationship started. And that produced a son, Dimitri Hamlin. So I'm sure he's really happy that Clash of the Titans got made.
1: Yeah. That, that would seem to be a pretty good reason to be, to be <laughs> thankful for that movie. I know the only thing I could think of, there was a production still that had the entire cast in it. So for one day, perhaps they all got together either, you know, before principal photography or after, and they did a, a, a principal, a photo that I've seen that I'm assuming was a production photo that all had that main cast with all the gods. And then it was like Andromeda, Perseus and Bobu and, and Ammon. Oh, there you go. Perfect. Perfect.
0: There you go. Perfect. So yeah. Demetrius Hamlin. Uh, good. <laughs> he, yeah. He, I'm sure he has a copy of Clash of the Titans somewhere. So uh, overall, like I said, I think it's a great film to wrap up his his legacy. I mean, again, he he lived long enough to be able to say, you know, to sort of be like, yeah, this was my last film. He could have probably worked on other films if he'd wanted to, but he chose to leave it behind and know that that was going to be his caper. not everybody in Hollywood gets to do that. They don't always necessarily know it's their final film. I've been doing other episodes where yeah. you know we, we talked about with Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred he Hitchcock. Didn't, he didn't plan Family Plot to be his last film, it just turned out that way, but Harry lived for uh you know for decades and again got to see his legacy and uh, you know see how much uh, his stuff is revered and get put out on on Blu-ray and again it's some of the stuff's on on the Amazon Prime. So it's a it's a fitting coda to his career. And like I said at the beginning of the show It's sort of great that he got to do it after supposedly his films were old hat. He got to sort of leave his mark one last time uh, and then say, all right, now I'm done.
1: And when you talk about legacy, in some ways, those are such a fitting legacy because it showed the respect that filmmakers continued to have for him and his work. The legacy was their appreciation. You know, I hope he felt that absolutely
0: yeah i'm sure he did he said it's uh it's an amazing uh series of films and go back and check them out everybody he said there some of them are a little harder to find than others or some of them are like squirreled away on the most obscure streaming services in the world like first men in the moon is like buried on like tubi or something but <laughs> but you can yeah. find a lot of them and they are uh really a lot of fun so uh do anything else we want to say about ray Harryhausen? as you wrap up here scott
1: the one thing I, w- I would say is I would highly recommend a book called Ray Harryhausen, An Animated Life. Yes. It was written by Ray Harryhausen and Tony Dalton. So a lot of the, the anecdotes that I've given about using Harryhausen's words are from that book. I um, mean, it goes by movie by movie, Harryhausen's experience on each of the films. So it's sort of a biography of him through his film, which I think is fascinating. The last chapter in that book too, Um, goes through, he calls it the A to Z of unrealized ideas. So all the ideas that he had throughout his career that never materialized or just wouldn't work or whatever. And there's some pretty fascinating things that he had considered animating. Um, I'll just pick out one. He had, he had always wanted to animate Frankenstein. Oh boy. It, which, which, in my head, is kind of exploding. Thinking, oh, an, an you know, a, a, an animated stop motion, or as he called it, dynam, dynam, um, what do you call it, dynamotion, dynam- dynamation, yeah, yeah. Uh, Frankenstein would have been amazing, but he wrote that after Franken or after uh, Abbott and Costello met Frankenstein, no one could ever take the character seriously again. That's mm. <laughs> so what he kind of wrote in there? <laughs> like, okay. That's yeah. That the mind reels at that. What that would have. Yeah, but there like. were there was just so many incredible things that he had that he had kind of had had ideas about, or like, or, or or creatures from those ideas that he had wanted to animate. Amazing stuff.
0: Absolutely amazing stuff. So, well, Scott, thank you so much for coming back on the year anniversary of Fade Out. Uh, I really, you know, the, as I mentioned at the when I did the show a year ago, I, I had this idea for the longest time, and I was sort of. A, like I got to get to it eventually, but I also knew that I really wanted the first show to be as sort of great as possible, and so that's why I had you on. You always deliver, and oh, it's always you are a pleasure.
1: much too kind. You are it's always kind. a it's always a pleasure to talk with you. So
0: thank you so much for coming back.
1: Thanks again so much for having me. And, and you know, I told you early on that when you kind of told me about the concept of this, I just love, love, love the concept of this podcast. And you know, I think you've been able to have some some wonderful, uh, some wonderful. Uh, representatives of film on this and, and kind of view them through their last project, which I think is great. And I hope, I hope it continues on beyond here too. And there's some, some more things coming down the line.
0: Oh yeah. We got get, definitely have some more episodes planned.
1: So again, uh, thank you so much. And why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internets? Uh, most of the time, the best place probably to find me is on my uh, Twitter account, which is at the mind of Scott X where I will spam your feed on Saturday nights. If I am home watching and uh, sort of riff tracking uh, Sven Gulli, uh, original Star Trek, Buck Rogers in the 25th century uh, and other such properties, you can also find me numerous places across the fire and water network on various podcasts with the wonderful hosts that have been willing to put up with me for however long it takes to record a podcast.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> again ch- yeah ch- check him out on twitter everybody it's it's really fun so again thanks everybody for listening you can find back episodes of fade out on our website fire and water podcast.com you can subscribe to fade out on any podcatcher of your choice follow, uh follow us on twitter at fade out pod and then finally if you want to support the fine water podcast network go to patreon.com slash fw podcast there you can unlock various rewards one of which is to be named checked on a show of your choice so again if you want to support the network go to patreon.com slash fw podcast so That's going to do it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another fade out before you know it. But until then, we've reached the end of this particular script, so it's time to fade out.